Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Take your Bible this morning and open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I want to start a series for Advent today entitled The King's Coming. The King's Coming. I want to talk a little bit about Advent. I don't want to assume that we just know what it is necessarily, but I want to begin by reading Zechariah's prophecy from Luke chapter 1 in verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Advent is a, ser- uh, is, excuse me, a season, not a series. This is a series. Advent is a season. I'll get that straight so I can tell you what it is. It's a season of the year when we as the Christian church celebrate the coming of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We celebrate his birth and we recognize his birth that he is the king who has come. And because he has come, he will come again. Traditionally, Advent is celebrated in the four Sundays leading up to the day of Christmas. We celebrate what we call the incarnation or God taking on flesh and dwelling among us in human form. And so because of this, Advent is a season of celebration. It is, as the prophet Isaiah tells us, that we celebrate God as Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of God's promised Messiah that he would come and redeem his people. And so we know that God has come to be with us in the person and the work and the teaching of Jesus Christ. For he 
is the Messiah, the one who was promised by God. He brings us hope. He brings us love. He brings us joy. He brings us peace. He brings to us righteousness from God that he through his works might turn the hearts of people to trust in God. And so it's a season for us of celebration. It is not only a season of celebration, it's a season of anticipation. For that he has come, we know, and because he has come, we know he will come again. The birth of Jesus Christ is not only the promise of God throughout the ages prophesied in the Old Testament, but it is also fulfilled in him. And because the promise is fulfilled in his birth, we know the promise of his second coming, that when he came in his birth to introduce and usher in the era of his kingdom, he promised that he would return a second time and bring into the fullness and the perfection the culmination of his kingdom. And so we live today not only in celebration of his coming, but in, in, in anticipation of his second coming. Christmas is a season for us to anticipate the full culmination of the kingdom of God that we've received in Jesus Christ. And so because of this, the season of Advent is a season to exalt Jesus as God's Messiah and we do that through these five central themes of the season of hope, of love, of joy, of peace, and of righteousness or our salvation. Because he is the king who brings these qualities, these blessings to us as his people. And so as we start a new series in celebration of the Advent season, I've entitled this series, The King is Coming. And today we exalt King Jesus as our eternal hope because he is the one who gives us a hope that will never fade, that will never spoil, and will never perish. And we do so from a passage in the Gospel of Luke, a prophecy that declares to us the promise of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ from one man, the man of Zechariah. You see, Luke records Zechariah's prophecy, and it's not at Jesus' birth. It's actually at the birth of John the Baptist, who would be Zechariah's own son. This is important for us because it spans for us one of the darkest periods in Christian history. A period of over 400 years when there was what you might call divine silence. It is the period that spans the time between the last speaking of the Old Testament prophets and when Jesus would come in human form. And during this season, God's people had suffered and languished in exile under foreign rule no longer enjoying all the immediate blessings of God, but for generations had waited 
for God's promise to be fulfilled. And when we come and we hear from a man like Zechariah, whom we learn earlier in this same chapter, he and his wife Elizabeth were righteous people. They were God-fearing. They loved the Lord. And they held to the hope of his promise. Yet how spiritually dark this season must have been for them as they were fully born into it and had lived the entirety of their life in it, hoping for a promise to be fulfilled. Luke tells us when he introduces Zechariah and Elizabeth to us that Zechariah was a priest. He labored in the temple of the Lord each and every day, offering in that same routine and rhythm that had been introduced early on in the law of God. And in that same tradition, offering up prayers for his own sin and prayers for the sin of God's people, that they might know the truth and the righteousness of God through his Promise And the Bible tells us that they were righteous before God, but they too were without child until an angel of the Lord Gabriel appeared to them one day. And he appeared to Zechariah and he told him that he and Elizabeth were going to bear a child. Again, in the same way that Abraham and Sarah had been told they would bear a child, Zechariah and Elizabeth were advanced in years And yet that would not thwart the plan and the sovereign will of God. And he was told that his name would be John. And John would be the last of a kind. Because in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets, which again had not spoken for 400 years, one final voice would cry out in the wilderness, thus saith the Lord. And he would do this in order to point the people to the Messiah who would come as God. He would prepare a way for the Messiah. And Zechariah, in his own humanness, asked a question that seems innocent enough, and yet the motive of his heart behind that question said much more than the question itself. How shall this be? And so the angel told him that he would be mute until this child was born because of his unbelief in the word of God. His muteness served not only to remember his own unbelief in the word of God, but also served as a sign for us of who John the Baptist was and who he would be and what he would do for us in pointing to the Messiah. So when John the Baptist was born, Zechariah's silence is broken. And this is what he states at the breaking of his muteness. He prophesied of all that he had heard from the Lord that a prophet would be born to point God's people to God's Messiah. Friends, 400 plus years of silence broken when the muteness of a priest was healed and he might clarify who his son would be. God's people would receive eternal hope because God's Messiah 
was coming. Can I pause here for a moment and ask a question as we think this morning about this idea of hope? What is hope for us? What is this hope that the Messiah brings to us? You might call or you might think of hope as the strength of life, the strength of heart when our heart within us is failing or fleeting. It's the strength of mind when, when the patterns and the thoughts of our mind seem to be failing us to strengthen us. It's even the strength of body when our hope is strengthened within us, surging and granting us even yet another burst or boost of energy to continue on. That's what hope is. But where does hope come from? Where do you find hope in your life to to have your heart strengthened in the moments when it feels it is fleeting and weak? Where do you take hope when your mind seems to be faltering in the things that you think about and the, the ways in which you think about things? Where do you find hope To put your feet on the floor yet one more morning and to continue moving forward when life seems to only be pushing you back and down. Where do you find that hope? Might I suggest this morning that hope is always rooted outside of the present. When we look at our current situation, when we look at our current scenario that causes our heart, our mind, or even our body, or maybe all three to be failing and fleeting in some way in its own strength, hope that comes to us is always rooted outside of that situation, outside of that circumstance in which we find ourselves. Sometimes hope is rooted in the past. In remembering what was and and remembering what what could be and, and desiring that yet again. And so we are strengthened by hope because of what we have known in the past and we remember it. Sometimes hope is rooted in the future. In a vision for what could be and, and what is not right now but rather for what should be. And we, we hold this vision And hope comes to us because of the vision with which we hold. And in in the Christian world, we understand this vision as as revelation from God. That God gives to us a, a prophecy of what shall be. And so that prophecy grants to us a vision or a revelation of what God desires, of what God has promised and will bring about. I offer to you today that it was promise and revelation that was holding hope for Zechariah and Elizabeth and all of God's people that were holding to him in this day. But hope, friends, that comes from promise and or vision is even stronger when these two are synergized together. And in unity, promise and revelation work together to strengthen us. Friends, hope in Jesus is promise fulfilled through eternal revelation. 
given. And so when we come to this Advent season, we worship Jesus as our eternal living hope because he is the living Lord who conquered death, who conquered hell, and who conquered the grave, we are told in 1 Corinthians 15, and whose kingdom will know no end. These are all things, not that we will one day learn, but that we've been told for years, for decades, for centuries gone by through the prophets who have foretold what God would do and we see fulfilled in the promised Messiah who has come. Jesus, friends, he is a hope like no other because he brings together everything from the eternity and from the life with God and he brings it to us and he gives it in his fullness. This Advent season, we worship the king who is coming again because he has come and given us hope that will not spoil, that will not fade, that will not perish in your life. Friends, I want you to see today, Christians have an eternal living hope because Jesus came and because he will come again. Zachariah's benediction, if you'll call it that, this this testimony of praise that leads to a prophecy of promise fulfilled and to be fulfilled It's not a celebration of any ordinary hope that we have here today. It is a declaration of Christian hope that we hold to because of Jesus. And what I want to propose to you today is to urge you, yea, even plead with you wherever it finds you today, whether it finds you as one who has put your faith in Jesus and yet you find your heart, you find your mind, you find your body weakened at moments because of the scenario, the situation or circumstances that surround you. I plead with you today to take hope in Jesus. He will not fail you. He will not fail you. And if you are here today and you've never come to the point in your life where you've repented of your sins and you've turned from all that the world can offer and you've never looked in the face of Jesus Christ and put your hope in him, I plead with you today to do that. For though everything may not be as you thought, as you felt, even, yea, as you desired or labored for, it will be this, it will be greater than you could have ever imagined because of what he will bring and give to your life. Three distinctive characteristics of Christian hope that we have because of Christ. We see these in the benediction of Zechariah and the prophecy in which he shares. The first one I want you to see is this, that our hope in Christ is living and eternal because Jesus is God incarnate. As I've already said, friends, our hope in Jesus is not like our hope in the weather. Our hope in Jesus is not like our hope in another person. 
Our hope in Jesus is not like the hope that we have for the circumstances of our life to improve. It far exceeds and surpasses all of these. Zechariah begins with a blessing offered to God and a declaration of God's power in response to the promise that he held. But now as he is realizing that which he has held by faith all of his life is about to become sight. That's faith, is it not? Holding to that which we cannot see yet certain of that which shall be because of God's promise. He tells us that this promise is unmatched by any other because he says this, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. God has come to us to save us. I challenge you, Find any other who claims the status of deity who has performed such a daring task for anyone. God has come to us to save us. His power is displayed in this. It's a perfect picture of the compassionate heart of God for people. He does not save us from afar, nor does he send his demands to us for us to accomplish for him. Rather, he comes to us to act and redeem us in our place. Friends, God is a loving father who is attentive, who hears the cries of his children for help, and he is ready to come and quick to save. God accomplishes salvation. How? Well, he tells us in the very next verse, verse 69, because he raises up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Again, prophecy and promise. Promise and vision. Revelation is given to us. That promise has come to us. This horn of salvation is an Old Testament phrase that was very familiar because it represented strength. It represented majesty that was worthy of worship. It represented the power to do what was needed to be done at the moment. And he tells us that a horn of salvation has been raised up to save and to fulfill God's promise. This phrase was familiar because so many times it had been read in God's word. Can you imagine that all of a sudden the words that Zechariah had read in the quiet meditations of his own heart and had read audibly in the public worship of God's people now was about to become the reality before them. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. All that Zechariah had held to was now taking hold of him in this promise that came through the prophecy of God. Friends, Jesus is God's Messiah. He is the Savior because his power is supreme. Hebrews chapter 1 introduces him to us when he says, Long ago, 
At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through also whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Zechariah blesses the Lord because God's promise that he held that filled his life now was fulfilled before him. All that he knew of and all that he was trusting in God for, the promise and the vision of the revelation of God had now merged to become the reality of God before him. We see in Zechariah what we all long for, where it is that we hold our hope that Jesus' birth proclaims God has come and he is able to save. Able to save. What if he showed up and he wasn't able? But he didn't because he is. Friends, Jesus is the source of perfect and powerful hope for you and I today. And Christians hold our hope in Jesus because he is the living and the eternal God. His power is supreme to save. This first characteristic of our Christian hope speaks to the doubts. It speaks to your fears. It speaks to your unbelief, even as it did to Zacharias. It speaks to every question of your life today. If God is real, and if what he says is true, then can he do what he said? Paul tells us this is the very question that Abraham asked of God in Romans chapter 4 and verse 18 when he said, Abraham against all hope hoped in God and he believed That God had power to do what he promised he would do. You and I are no different. We ask the questions and God stands ready to address them. Zechariah addresses them because they were his own. Friends, hope in Jesus is not iffy. It is living and eternal. It is alive in us. We hold our hope in Jesus, not just to escape our reality, but rather to trust him in the midst of any circumstance or situation of our reality. And as we believe, we learn to run to Jesus instead of running to everything else in which we would suck a little bit of hope 
to give us pleasure, in which we would drain a last bit of hope for comfort in this world. Rather, we learn to run to Jesus, to trust Him, to heal our pain, and to heal our hurt, instead of only trying to once again cover it up. Christian hope holds to Jesus because He is eternal, the living God who has come to save and to redeem us from sin. Well, the second distinct characteristic of Christian hope in Jesus we hold is not just that we hold hope in Jesus, but hope in Jesus holds us. Hoping in Christ holds us when all hope is gone. Look at verses 70 through 75 as Zechariah continue. He proclaims this salvation as the will and the work of God. It is declared from of old in his word. It's not new. It's not God's changed his mind and something new has come. It's God's fulfilling the word that he's always given to us. You see, God's work is not just a great moment of personal experience. It is an anchored point in time that is predetermined in the eternal will of God to work in his plan. It is not just rejoicing in the exuberance of our present experience. It is praising God from a hope that has held his whole life and that holds our life in the eternal will of God as well. Christian hope, friends, is not just a high experience, but it is Jesus' eternal plan and purpose of a holy God to save and to redeem his people. Christians are held by this hope in Jesus because he is sufficient to save us and to bring us to God. That's what verse 71 iterates for us. And then Paul tells us later in Romans in verse 38 and 39, for I am sure, I am sure there is a certainty that is unshakable because of the hope we have in Christ. That neither death nor life that nothing in this world, not rulers nor angels, there's nothing that transcends this world, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is a hope that holds us when our hold has weakened and failed. Christian hope is the, not the bigness of our faith. It is the bigness of our God. It's not the bigness of our experience, whether we feel, whether we think, or whether we do, but rather it is the greatness of our God who holds us. When we trust to live from Jesus' victory, we live differently because of the hope we have in him. Salvation in Jesus gives us eternal hope that holds us in this life. God's promised mercy and grace comes to us. In verse 72 and 73, we see that this is the reason he came to show the mercy promised to us, to remind us of the grace. You see, the fullness of God is perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. He does not forget his promise. He remembers his promise. He does not forget what 
what he said. He is faithful to his word. The hope that holds us is not only for us, it is in us. Colossians 1, 27 reminds us that the hope of glory for us is Christ in us. So he not only brings that promise to us, but he puts it within us in the person of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. The fulfillment of the promise in Jesus assures us of the truth of his word that he has come and he will come again. That holds us. Our anticipation of the return and of his kingdom revealed is given to us in his word and held by us and holding us because of Jesus. Jesus in us is a hope in God's faithfulness that holds us in all of life. You see, our hope in Jesus empowers us as it holds us to serve without fear and to show our love. Verses 74 and 75. The certainty and the surety that God remembers and fulfills all of his promises is not only the hope that we hold, but it is the hope that holds us in this life. Christians do not live subject to our fears. And in a day and time, when the greatest healthcare crisis that is rising on our heels is anxiety among our generation that is following us. The church needs to be a voice that proclaims a hope that decimates anxiety, that decimates insecurity, that decimates fear because we are not given a, spear, a spirit of fear, but of love, of joy, and of self-control, Paul tells a young Timothy. We take hope in God because it is this hope that holds us. Jesus has set us free from all that would bind us to serve God in life without fear. Lottie Moon, the namesake for which our global mission offering is received each time. She was born in 1840. She was a small, small lady in stature, less than four and a half feet tall. But she was ginormous in her hope, friends. At the age of 32, she turned down a marriage proposal, moved to the nation, the country of China, and labored there for the next 39 years of her life. And in her call, this is what she said, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal till my work for the Lord is done. Friends, that's not something we can hold in our hands, but that is that which holds us. That holds our life. Hope in Jesus has the unmistakable hold on the Christian's life. And God may discipline you in unbelief, in doubt at times, just as he did Zechariah. You'll be mute until my promise is fulfilled. But that discipline is never to destroy us, nor will he ever abandon us, only to point us to the hope that holds us. Our Christian hope in Jesus is sure to hold us when all other hope is gone. The third distinctive of the Christian faith is that our hope in Christ is held forth to the world because Jesus saves all 
who believe and trust in him. Zechariah rejoiced because he understood what it meant that the Messiah was coming. You see, John the Baptist served that distinct role in God's salvation history to point people to the Messiah who would come. God in his perfect loving kindness to us wanted to make absolutely sure that we had a way to know who he was when he came and that's why he sent John the Baptist. Because of God's promise friends, no one is without hope who believes in Jesus. Jesus fulfills God's promise of Messiah by his perfect revelation in human flesh. It is a divine synergy a synergy from promise and revelation that makes Jesus' perfect hope. Not only that which we hold to, not only the one that holds us, but that which we hold forth as true, perfect hope to share with the world. And the world is yet again in a clamored disagreement, are we not? About the 26-year-old John Allen Cho. who understanding every risk of life believed it was God's call on his life to take the gospel to a people and it cost him his life. Friends, the world's never going to understand the gospel's ethic to take the gospel to all people. But we're not looking to the world to rationalize our mission. We're looking to God's word. And what I would say to you are the very words that he scripted in his journal that have been in every news publication that I've seen. His prayer was this, please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to. And I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. I can only believe that John knew God's call in his life and he lived to fulfill that call because that was his testimony. Is the hope of God that you're holding to, the hope of God that's holding you sufficient to be held forth to the nations because God has a hope that cannot be shaken and will not separate us from him. Christians have an eternal hope living that is living within us because Jesus came and he will come again. I want to pause here and I want to give you the opportunity to hear from one of our own, Andrea Burnett. I've asked her to come and to share about how it is the hope of Christ that she has learned and is learning in her life holds her as well. So, Andrea, would you come and share your testimony with us? Yes, thank you so much, Lane. Like you said, my name is Andrea Burnett, and I've been at LifePoint for almost three years, about two and a half years, and this is my service, 8 o'clock. This is where you'll find me. And uh, growing up, I was really fortunate to live in a home of ministry. My parents were in full-time ministry, planting churches, and we were, our home was grounded in the Word of God, and I'm so thankful for that. 
I first met Jesus when I was five, and it was around 12 years old that I feel like I finally began to, to fully understand what Jesus did for me, and that he had really given me something to live for. At five years old, I didn't have a crazy radical testimony, um, but he gave me something to live for at, at a young age. And I lived a pretty sheltered life, and I did a really good job of following the rules. And as a child, the board game life was my favorite game. Everybody got a car, everybody, you know, went to college or had a career, everybody got married in the game of life, everybody had kids in the game of life. And it followed that trajectory that I was seeing all around me and my friends and my family. And during my junior high years, planning for my future really became a hobby, complete with a three-ring binder. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> and, you know, this continued through my high school years. And by the time I graduated high school, I had really had my whole, the rest of my life was scripted out. I didn't exactly consult God, but I did give him a copy and highlight his parts. You know, here's where you come in, God. And it never really crossed my mind that this plan that I had so carefully crafted wouldn't turn out exactly as I had hoped. And somewhere along the line, I see now that I also began to believe a lie that there was an equation that I could follow to get what I wanted from God. And, and if, like, if I wait well and I do all the right things, then life according to my plan would be my reward. And I think if I, if I could appear to my 19-year-old self and tell her, girl, your life is not gonna look anything like the game of life, she would probably shrivel up and die. So around my 30th birthday, at my birthday party, later that night, I began to realize that there was no amount of recalculating that could get me to the destination by the time I wanted. And I began to grieve. And unfortunately, that grief led to a lot of disappointment. And it created questions that I had about God that led to a season of anger, doubt, and resentment. And I know that there are many in this room who understand that longing for something can be really painful, especially when you're focused solely on the unfulfilled desire. So for a season, I even tried to kill the desire. You know, I don't need to get married. I can foster kids someday if I never have my own. And desiring anything really became the enemy. And I thought that if I don't desire anything, it's not going to hurt so much if God never gives it to me. And I see now that I was also unknowingly deadening my hope in Jesus and his ability to do anything miraculous in my life. And instead of waiting with hope, I became an undercover cynic. I thought I was good at hiding it. I found myself saying, you know, I'm just being realistic. And in preparing for today, I looked up the definition of realistic, and it says, having a sensible and practical idea of what can be achieved or expected. And I was living day to day pretty much forgetting the resurrection power of Jesus, 
which is beyond sensible and beyond expectation. I began to justify my cynicism by telling myself, you know, you live in a broken world and you're not going to get everything that you long for until heaven. This is a broken world, yes, but Jesus' body was broken and resurrected. And am I going to have all of my longings met here on earth? Of course not. But I don't know which ones, and he does. Thankfully, the Lord set me free from this season of anger and resentment. And I began to spend time, instead of being focused on how disappointed and angry I was about all of these unfulfilled desires that were piling up, I began to just bring them one by one, day by day, to Jesus. And over time, he restored my hope. And our relationship and my mindset began to change. And I no longer view my relationship with Jesus as transactional. The more time that I spend with him and in his word, I'm not thinking about how I can do things for him just to get things from him. I now focus on getting to know him as my Lord and Savior, the, the object of my faith. When I give him my desires, they couldn't be any more secure or hopeful, and that's a really the best kind of investment for me. It's no longer just about receiving what I'm asking for. It's about that relationship and experiencing the responsiveness of God to those desires of my heart. And the more that I get to know him, my desires are changing, and he's even given me some new ones. So I'm not an expert on hope, that is for sure. I plan to listen to all three sermons today so I can really drill it in. But, and it doesn't mean that I spring out of bed every morning full of hope. Um, we know that the enemy is an expert at tempting us to assess God's faithfulness based on our circumstances. And his word is full of promises that will not return void. But if I begin to live as though the things that I desire have been promised to me when they have not, that leads to idol worship in my life. I have to fight that daily, every single day, by renewing my mind like it's my job, because it is. It's our job every day to renew our minds. And practic practically that looks like getting in the word and really preaching truth to myself all day, every day, by anchoring my joy, hope, and contentment in Jesus, rather than anything around me here on earth or my circumstances. And even though my 19-year-old self would have said that my life now is probably her worst nightmare, I now know that the real nightmare would be a future separated from God. And I understand that and really believe that God has already written my story. And guess what? I know the end. The thing that I needed most from him was his son Jesus. And he already provided that for me. I had no hope. And he became hope for me. And I've learned that 
when I elevate my desires to need, I completely forget to be grateful of what Jesus did for me. And it's so much easier to be hopeful when I choose to view everything I experience as God's good plan to make me his own and use my life to reveal himself and his glory to those around me. So I've stopped writing scripts and I now take full advantage of the free and complete access I have to the throne of grace. And I I try to live with the spirit of expectancy. And sometimes that's, hope is kind of an inward groaning while you're also living outwardly expectant. I can go to him and know that he hears me, he cares for me, and he will help me. And I can have hope and trust that as his child, he will provide for me everything that I need today. And like we've heard this morning, um, Jesus is our hope and he will come again, and he is worthy of all of our hope in the meantime. Thank you. you. Would you pray with me?